Hi, this is a podcast for the best bits of the Breakfasters. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Triple R. Uh, we made additions to the lesbian pit on the weekend. Oh. Yeah. So the lesbian pit, just a reminder, is a um, just a, the sunken patio or just a paved, you know, thing that we put a fire pit on uh, that we um, labelled the lesbian pit because um, two lesbians made it with some help of some other people. Um and uh, just a bit of fun, bit of banter in lockdown. Um, you know, why do you call it a lesbian pit? Because we sacrifice men in there, yeah. that's why. And um, every once a month we fill it with mud and wrestle in it and um, every other fortnight we put jelly in it and wrestle yeah. in it. Um, no, it's just a fire pit. You got to laugh, don't you? Though in lockdown, you got to laugh. And laugh. Yeah. <laughs> you know? What else? What else are you going to do? You know, you got to laugh. You got to, um, you know, take up some hobbies. <laughs> DIY might be one of your hobbies, and um, mm. that's what we've done in our house. Find yourself a project. Don't mm. worry if you don't finish it. Just make a yeah, start. See exactly. how you go. And that's what we did. Um, so we've made, uh, we've extended the the pit. From we made a little path from the the pit to the um, back door to the stairs to the veranda, um, and thanks to Sarah, you renamed it as Lesbian Lane. Oh yeah, I thought it was very clever. I thought it was very clever. Very clever, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's you know that's another thing that you can do in lockdown. Um, you know, think of clever puns for names for different things. Yeah, Lesbian something to pit. do. Yeah, yeah, something to do. So we made Lesbian Lane um, and this is where we um, all lesbians line the laneway as we bring the men out to <laughs> sacrifice them. Um, I, this is normally, so when we, when we made the, the lesbian pit, I did, my job mostly was the, um, things that didn't require too much knowledge as in, you know, I dug the hole and, um, carted bricks. So that's, you know, whereas Kath was the one that kind of laid it out, made sure it was even, laid it out and, you know, put the bricks in a particular pattern, herringbone pattern if you're playing at home. Um, And so doing that and just kind of, you know, making sure it was all right. Whereas, you know, and that requires, that's the type of relationship. She's the one that uses, does the research and goes, "This this is the best way to do things, whereas I just go, I could fill up a wheelbarrow of bricks and bring it on down. Um, but she – but the path was all me. Lesbian Lane was me. Really? Yeah. So it started um, – I had dug the hole and Kath, like, on the way, she goes, I think you should, you know, just put in, put in the path. And then she kind of got me started and then she left me to it. And when someone's not watching you, when the expert mm. isn't around to see what you're doing, oh, the freedom. They go, oh, no problem. I can, well, you know, I'll put this brick here and I'll put, oh, no problem. I've got it. I had most of it done. Kath came back around and she was like, this is amazing. You've done such a great job. And I'm like, I know. It feels so much, you know, I can do it without being watched. 
uh, you know, but then um, we did have to take it all up because uh, it wasn't even. So, no. Yeah, yeah, but it was fine. We just it, it was Doesn't it sound was fine. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like we took you know she goes oh it's just it and she was right and once it, and this is something you couldn't really t- until it was all kind of done and then but it was like a bit of a divot you know it just meant that you know there'd be a huge puddle in the middle of it if if it rained. So if we said, oh, we'll just move a couple out and then we can, you know, redo those ones, fill it in with more dirt and redo them. And then I just watched it take, like, I thought she'd take about three or four out and then just went, no, nah, and it just took them all out. I was like, all right, well, that's that's Aww. all my morning's work done. But it's fine. We put the – and we, we did it again and it was so much better the next time round. And mm. I was, you know, I was thankful for um, for the expert to come around at the right time and show me the mistakes that I've made. And I accepted that I had done it wrong. What did, you learn? what did you learn from this? Stay uh, in your lane. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that um, it's okay to get things wrong because you can just go back again and fix it. It's no problem. Don't be afraid to give it a go. Yeah. That's my DIY tip for you. Give it a go. It, but it looks like the moral of the story is why bother? <laughs> you know, your your cat's Hodor and <laughs> you tried to upskill and it, it didn't work out. In fact, all but this it, time was wasted. No, but we fixed it real real quick. Okay. And, um, and it filled in the morning. And we all know a beer tastes heaps better <laughs> after you've done twice as much hard work. Like that got me two beers. I put it up on, um, uh, took a photo, put it up on Instagram, which is where Sarah came up with the lesbian lane. Put it, put it in a comment. That's something you can do in lockdown. Put your <laughs> photos up on your Instagram. Um, comment on others. That's always fun. Um, <laughs> also. If you wanted to, you could, um, you know, give some advice on what someone's done on their Instagram. Oh, I've, no. Shit, no. Instagram advice. Yeah, mate. How's this? He goes, it starts off with, hi, I'm sorry to be that know-it-all asshole. Oh, don't like, start. Oh, don't start like that. Here we go. I think I think you, you're sorry, but I think you're still going to be that know-it-all asshole. Um but take the top off the grass on the left of the path. When it rains, the water will need somewhere to run off to. Otherwise, it will just pull there and you will need a kayak to get to the pit. Lots of love, Mr. A-Hole. P.S. Great job on the hearing bow. Now, it's hearing bone, not hearing bow. So I'm not going to take advice from someone that doesn't know the pattern name. And secondly, yes, we know. We know. Nobody builds a lesbian pit and a lesbian lane without knowing about the drainage issues that will come up. We are well aware of where we've got it on a tilt. We know you can't make it flat. You can't make a lesbian pit flat. You've got to have it slightly tilted so the rain washes away. We've done that, and just because we've just because we're halfway through, it's not finished yet. We know we know about drainage, drainage. We're across it, yeah. but thank you for your advice. You got to laugh though, don't you? You got to laugh. You got to. You got to just get in. Have a bit of a laugh. Don't worry. Yeah. Thanks very much. That's very helpful advice. 
And it's all you can do in the middle of this lockdown during this pandemic. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Fee Wright's here, getting your eye across the latest in literature. Morning, Fee. Morning, guys. Morning, everyone. I'm just going to acknowledge first off that I am very, very croaky. I have a cold, I've had the COVID test. My mum finds it hilarious that I got a cold in lockdown, but it kind of goes to show that it's important. Um, but I apologise. I lost my voice last night and freaked out overnight. Oh. Anyway, oh. I feel fine and I'm very, very excited to talk to you about this book that I've got this morning, which is Kokomo by Victoria Hannon. So this book was the 2019 winner of the Vic Premier's Literary Award for Unpublished Manuscripts and it came out at the end of July, beginning of August, and I've got to tell you guys, it is just surrounded by hype right now and, in my opinion, very well-deserved hype. I think this might be my last review with Sarah before you go on maternity leave. Oh, and I'm so happy that I get to go out on a note with this book with you because I think you were just going to be really, really excited to read this one. Um, so, but before we get into the hype vibes, I want to give a brief synopsis of the plot. And if you are keen on reading this book, this synopsis isn't going to give anything away, but a lot of people online are giving away huge chunks of plot. So I would recommend not reading those if you are keen on this particular book. So, um, the book starts with Mina. She's in her late 20s. She's Australian and she's working in London. She gets a call from her best friend back in Melbourne to say that her agoraphobic mother, Elaine, has been seen leaving the house for the first time in 12 years. So Mina flies home immediately and she's just dropped back into the world that she'd left many years before. So the people, the relationships and her grief at how her mother shut down after her father's death because the last time she left the house was for his funeral. And I really don't want to say much more than that because there's a lot of really fantastic structural stuff that occurs, particularly around the halfway mark in the book. And people have been just like dropping that spoiler like it's nothing online. And I I got to discover it organically as I read and I don't want to give that away for, for anyone else. So um, it's been getting a lot of hype comparison to Sally Rooney, which is driving me nuts because – like, it's a book written by a young woman, so, of course, it's the same sort of book. But, you know, they, they do have a, a, a similar writing style, particularly with how Hannon depicts conversations, silences, and, and like, those thoughtful pauses that, that occur. Those moments are, are really evocative in Kokomo because it's often what isn't said that tells the reader more than what is actually said. But the big, big difference between Rooney as a writer and Hannon, though, is that I loved Mina and Elaine, um, and particularly her friend Kira and Kira's mum, Valerie. In Normal People, I wanted to know what happened, but I didn't really love them or even really like them a lot of the time. I didn't always understand their choices. I was like, why are you doing this? I kind of don't like you right now. But most of the characters 
in in this book, the women, when the women sat around together, particularly um, the mum Valerie with Kira and Mina, I felt like I knew them. I, I felt like I'd sat in her kitchen and I'd listened to them and I'd shared with them, drank their tea and, and laughed at their jokes. Hannon's real strength as a, as a writer is her this, this great ability to drop you down into a place and have it feel so familiar and homelike because she's so descriptive. I felt like that kitchen, you know, I could feel like the morning sun, you know, it just had that real sense of place. And additionally, when, when Kira and Mina discuss men, I feel like I knew them even more. It was like, I don't know, I was at the pub and my friend had been seeing some trash bloke and they had the rose colored glasses on. <laughs> but then I've also been the one talking to my friend about some trash bloke, not, not Declan's listening in the other room. Declan, never you, never you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, and I'd been that person too, particularly in my my early twenties. So, the most early, um, obvious Sally Rooney comparison, though, is is waiting for the the three dots in texting, which happens a couple of times in the book. So, Sally Rooney was the first author to really use that like modern literary device to to great effect. But but Hannon uses it too. But when Hannon used it, I felt this gut drop of disappointment and waiting more viscerally than I ever did with, with Rooney. It was, um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's a really fascinating read, particularly during lockdown because it's, um, it's set in Thornbury and I haven't been to Thornbury because it's out of my five kilometer radius. And it's like (gasps) street. I remember you. Oh. And is the title? Fits, oh, sorry. sorry. Go on. Oh, no, 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 no. I was just going to say, do you think it fits into that kind of canon? It was too early to say of great Melbourne novels. Like I don't like to reference Helen Garner as the obvious, but that, that kind of. Um, it's very time and place. The way Garner, like Monkey Monkey Grip, was. Yeah. Um, again, though, I feel like. I did, when I was reading, I haven't read that book in a very long time, and I, I loved it when I read it, particularly just how, um, like, Fitzroy and Carlton it felt. This one, though, again, I'm just drawn to the fact that I just I just really loved Mina. Like, I just, you know, I, I wanted her to succeed and have the understanding she was looking for so much. Um, and she was also a really um, – funny person as well. Like um, there's a lot of flashbacks that occur in the book and there's some on and around uh, her father's funeral. And this is a weird thing to say about humour, but um, my dad died around 10 years ago and Mina has this conversation around picking out a coffin, which was really, really funny. And then I burst into laughter because I'd had the exact same conversation. And then after that, I got a bit weepy because I felt that she was so able to embody that sense of loss, but also the way we all use humour as this kind of coping mes- uh, method for for grief. Mm. Um, yeah, it was. It's. I can't. Re- I can't wait to read what she's going to write next. It was. It also has great rereading potential because I flipped back through it for this review and found myself just going right back into it. It's, um, yeah. I've only read the first page, but it really explodes out of the gate. Uh, yeah, so that's actually a very good thing. I was going to raise this. I posted a picture of the book yesterday on Instagram and Zara from Dropout Boogie said she couldn't get past the first couple of pages. Full disclosure, it does have some, shall we say, really graphic descriptions of um, phallic appendages, but the whole book isn't, like that. My advice to Sarah yesterday and to everyone else is if you're not into that sort of thing, don't fret. Most of the book is about people talking and thinking. 
if you are into that sort of thing, hopefully there's enough of that in there to keep you interested. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Most of the book is about people talking and thinking. It's very evocative. (laughs) Um, And the the title is so evocative as well. Is Is that giving away too much? I spent most of the book wondering why it was called Kokomo. And I'm not going to tell you why. Okay, cool. Oh. All right. Good it one. It is relevant. It is relevant, but that's all I'm going to give you. It okay. Was the, it was the title that got me before anything about the book, before I knew much about it or had heard the hype. So that's good to know. Yeah, it's, it's really nice that um, there's a lot – there's a trend at the moment to kind of name books about just, uh, I don't know, what the characters might be or – you know, calling it just something really straightforward. I really liked that Kokomo is totally relevant to the book, but you don't know that until you've read it. And I really enjoyed, there was a bit of mystery that I liked that it brought it in. All right. Well, it's Kokomo by Victoria Hannon out now through Hatchet. Is there anything else you just want to get off your chest just quickly about it? No, no, I mentioned the penis stuff. It's all good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Faye, get better soon and thanks heaps. Thanks, guys. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Christy joins us for Sarah's pre-mat leave game changes. It's the <laughs> last one. Adam's taking requests. Everything's gone weird. I mean, what is? What was the idea? Did was it? Were you asking Sarah? Is there a video game she wants you to talk about as a special treat? Maybe, but I was also just like, there's too many games at the moment. Help me narrow it down. Yeah, um, right. So it's kind of like, give me, give me the laser focus. Is is kind of where I was Mario going. Mario Brothers. Yeah, and then I was like, nah, I want to talk about grand strategy games where you just stare at a map for like 20 hours straight and like read spreadsheets, basically. So that, so that's what I've brought in today, which is Crusader Kings 3. Um, it's out now via Paradox Interactive on PC and Mac, and maybe it'll come to consoles in the future. But for now, this is a straight up PC game. This is, uh, you know, sometimes I talk about the definition of a video game ass video game where I'm like, this is a game. Um, it's one of those. So if you've ever played something like Civilization before or you've played board games uh, like Risk, um, yes. then you'll kind of start feeling a bit familiar in home here. This is um, what we like to call uh, a kingdom builder. Or in, in the essence of Crusader Kings, it's really more of a dynasty builder. You are building a dynasty. You are setting up your family and a line of succession through the ages. And you play this out on a very... Um, intensely researched map of the Middle Ages, which can start from 1867 and go all the way to around 1453 uh, or so. And that's kind of when the game ends. So you're not just playing like one period of time, you're playing multiple generations in your kingdom or your empire. And you're trying to, um, ex- you know, th- in terms of what you actually want to achieve in that period of time, it's kind of up to you. Um, and you can play any ruler on this map as well. And it's a big big map. So you've got all of Europe. Uh, you've got most of the Middle East as well. You've got parts of North Africa. You've got a large portion of Asia, including South Asia and most of India as well is there. So if you want to like play like the middle, um, middle ages or pre-Renaissance Rajas and get into like feudal warfare over in India, go, go nuts. Um, so there is a lot of depth in this game. 
And I have to admit, sometimes when I play this game, I'm like, I feel like I need an undergrad to understand what's going yeah. on. Um, so what actually happens in Crusader Kings? Like, what is going on in this game? Um, essentially, you'll spend most of your time staring at a map of your lands, of, of what you own and what you can claim and, you know, uh, your titles and lands. I have learned a lot about what counties are, what duchies are, what kingdoms are, what baronies are, all these wonderful, fanciful medieval terms for, like, land distribution and title claims. Um, but the most interesting thing is because you pick a ruler, um, you are playing as that ruler and you take on their personality traits, their foibles, their issues, their stresses and their life problems with you in the game, um, which can create all sorts of like madness and kind of chaos when things start clashing in really weird and interesting ways. Um, so I started off my game with the tutorial, which takes place in uh, medieval Island. Um, and Island is a great tutorial zone because you're on a literal Island. Um, and so you've got multiple different kind of areas that you can kind of take over. You're not going to worry about like a big kingdom coming in and kind of claiming most of your territory because you kind of isolated away and it sets you up to kind of, you know, eventually take over all of Ireland itself, become the ruler and the king of Ireland if you want to. And then maybe from there, you might want to take over Britannia or maybe take over France or do whatever you want and like live out your alternate fantasy Europe, uh, if you will. Um, so I started off with Petty King, uh, Merchad MacDonchad of Munster in the left corner of Ireland, um, a temperate, wrathful and patient man with a massive score of 19 in martial and warfare, which meant I was going to be like a despot. Um, so <laughs> I, I basically started the game going like, okay, I'm really good at war and terrible at everything else. This ruler has a terrible learning skill, which means that I'm going to be really bad at reforms that are going to be great for the peasantry and just for the general well-being of people around me. Um, but because I'm really good at war, I'm going to be really good at inspiring dread amongst the people underneath me. So I won't have to worry about peasant rebellions or my vassals plotting my murder and my downfall because they're all going to be too scared shitless to do anything. So that was kind of like my game plan with Petty King Merchad. And it was like, take over as much land as I can, consolidate it, and then pass it on to my son. Um, so the first thing I had to do was I realized I didn't have a queen. Um, I didn't have a wife so I could have more babies to keep the line of succession going on because we're playing a medieval um, island. Catholicism is all the rage. And so Ooh. in Catholicism... Sarah, we could do really well at this game. Oh, I'll be oh, me? I went to a Catholic school, so I feel that all that guilt coming through. And religion in this game is really fun because personality traits of various people um, get impacted by the religion that they're in. So the Catholic... The Catholic religion really doesn't like people who are lustful. So if you want to, if you're a leader that just kind of wants to go around having a good, sexy, fun time um, and seducing lots of people, you're going to have a bad time if you're a Catholic. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, whereas if you are a prudish uh, uh, ruler that that doesn't like to have sex that much, you're going to have a great time under Catholicism. People are going to like you more, but your chance of having heirs and children goes down. And having children and heirs is very important because you need to be able to pass on the family line or the game ends. So um, I had to find a wife, basically. So the first thing I did in this game was open up the find spouse menu upon many menus in this game. And it's, it's I guess it's like medieval Tinder, except there was like, you know, like 750 matches for me to pick from across all of this massive map of Europe. Are there pictures? Asia. 
Like there with are opening, pictures. Like, oh. you, can, you get like, you can see a 3D model of each person that you're playing with. They have emotions and they can kind of move around. I like to think of this game as like a mix of civilization and risk with Game of Thrones and The Sims, if that wow. kind of makes sense. Um, yeah. So it's like, I'm going through and I'm looking at the various rulers and you can kind of read their personality traits. So I found a wife that was kind of like, um, she was scheming. Um, she didn't believe in God. Um, and she was like a, a natural villain. And I was like, this sounds great. I'm going to pick her. She sounds really fun. I'm going to have her come into my court as well, because I really have a bad spy master right now. And because she's scheming, she's going to help my spy master with schemes. Um, so you have a court, uh, so there's so much going on in this game, but you have a court where you can pick different rulers and put them on in your kingdom. They'll kind of like help you kind of do various things. You have a spy master, the bishop of your area or whatever religion that you're in is also there. If the religion doesn't like you, the bishop will withhold money. So you really got to suck up to your bishop. Um, Stressful like a, this is how long does this? I mean, could you Jeez, play this every day for the rest of your life? Every day, like if you know you want to just live out your fantasies, go for it. So I kind of set myself up. I had my scheming wife, and then I was like, <laughs> let's let's start murdering and start making false claims on the lands around us. Um, so I started out kind of you know feeling out areas near my territory and going, actually, I have a royal claim over this land, which I didn't, and then I would press war. Um, and by this point, I had a lovely son who had grown up, and he was also like a um, a very kind of not-too-bright kind of guy, but really liked his swords. So I was like, cool, we're going to continue on. But what I didn't realize is that, like, you need to forbid your heir from going into battle, or they might die in a war. And so my son died in a war really quickly, and I was <gasps> like, oh, well, I don't have an heir. Devastating. I know. So now I had to be like, come on, you got to make these babies really quick. Um, so I, I held a feast because I'd just taken over some lands and I wanted everyone to kind of get along. Uh, my leader who is only good at war and very bad at talking to people proceeded to insult all of the people at the feast, make some rivals and enemies instead of win them over, but got his wife pregnant. So hooray. Um, eventually I had a son and I'm going to tell you now about how Petty King Merchad Don, Mac Donchad died, um, which is that, You've only got a few minutes left, Adam. I know. Yeah. And I think it'll sell the game. Um, so I realized that I didn't have a court physician, which is the thing that you probably need in the Middle Ages in case someone dies or gets pox. So I went to hire one, and I had two options. The really, like, like well-known one that seemed really smart and had, like, I guess operated and done trepanning on a bunch of people in the Middle Ages or whatever. She seemed good, but she was really expensive. Or an inexperienced person that was kind of cheap. And because I'd just been to war, I didn't have much gold. So I went with the cheap option. And of course, two months later, I get sick with cancer. <laughs> and oh. so this this option pops up and it's like, what do you want to do? Just be really, you know, careful about this and just only do what's needed or just go full hog, like get in there and just do what you need to do. And I was like, I trust you, physician. Let's go. So she ripped out my eye and chopped off my arm and I died two months. <laughs> so from that point, I had to place my two son, um, Fodhat, who ascended the throne and realized. What's his name? Fodhat. Fodhat. I'm sorry I'm saying it wrong because it's Irish. It's probably like Fodhat or something. Um, but he had two brothers, and because of the rules of succession in Ireland at this point in time, all of the kingdom got split amongst the three of them. So the first thing I did was kill off one of my brothers in a murder plot. We just, like, left him in the forest um, to die. 
and no one found out about it. Excellent. Yay. Um, and then I had to kind of go to war with my other brother to take over his lands and make him bend the knee. So you can see how this is kind of Game of Thrones, um, but also a board game. It has multiplayer. <laughs> to play like this with friends live on the internet go to your heart's content you can all pick a different kingdom and have fun um i have barely touched the surface on this game i feel like i barely understand this game myself but um in terms of accessibility it's got a great interface you'll get lost but everyone's getting lost and there's a lot of great people on youtube teaching you how to play it it's just fun. It's like a story generator. You kind of leave playing a game of this and you're like, I can't wait to tell everyone about like the pet dog that my character found that decided to interrupt the council session and now everyone hates me. Like, it's, it's that game. It's, it's a real joy. It's certainly no Mario Brothers, is it, Sarah? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so happy this is our last video game review together, Chris. I think you've, I think you've reached peak. Uh, thank you. You should play Crusader Kings 3. I really want to hear about your own kingdom and its own failures and foibles. All right. Crusader Kings 3. Adam, thanks heaps. No, my pleasure. Triple R. Here's my hot tip for getting um, out of your 5K zone if you want to go for a little adventure. Mm. Um, donate blood if you if you can. That is, because that's an essential service. It does exclude um, all gay men and anyone that's been in the UK over a certain period of time. Or if Um, you've had a tattoo in the last 12 months. If you've had a tattoo, um, if you maybe if you're pregnant, um, there's a yeah, there's a few you know boxes that you have to tick to be eligible to donate. But if you tick all those boxes. What a little adventure! Get get you out of the house. What a little treat, you know. And but maybe there's a blood donation center within your five k's. How how often do you go? Like once a year, maybe? Or, or um, how can, how how frequently can you go? Well, if you, I think it's every three months for blood, but you can donate plasma every couple of weeks. I think it is. Goodness. So um, so I can I could go back in a couple of weeks. I think and donate plasma and then um and then donate blood i've been me it's one of those things where i've been um able to donate for the last couple of months but just didn't know where i could do it so because it it, locally there's only uh, they'll have um like buses that will come in so there's just temporary blood donation places nearby um but then I found there was one. So if I drive to Taraugan, there's a permanent one there. So that's what I ended up doing. Um, so I did that this week. Uh, was you know, and the other the good thing about donating blood, you know, obviously you feel good about yourself. But um, free food. Oh, yeah. how much free food do you get? Well, it, there's no one watching you. So what's available? Is there a spread? Yeah, I, I just yeah. thought you got a cookie. No, oh mate, there's much of this. There's cookies. There's um, uh, flavored milks. Ah, <gasps> yep. There's uh, water and there's juices as well. You know, apple and orange juice, something like that. There's um, depending on where you go. Um, there's there's some sort of um, pie or sausage roll. Oh. Uh, yeah. In Melbourne, there's um, little lots of party pies and party sausage rolls. 
but where I went, um, they just had normal size sausage rolls. <gasps> oh, oh yeah. my god, what a win! Can yeah. you top up your Mikey there as well? It's, it's a whole damn shop. <laughs> yeah, but the um, the, the Mikey, um, no, the sausage roll, the one in Tarragon, there's a sign on the pie warmer just saying, um, one, uh, you can only have one each. Oh, so, yeah, fair enough. And I go, that's that's fair. Do you have but, it as your um hooked up donating or do you have it on exit yeah on exit so it's to you know because they've just taken a lot of blood so it's get your um blood sugar up yeah get your energies back up like get your because you might feel a bit faint i don't it's just i'm tough you know just take my blood whatever um are there other people in the waiting room yeah sometimes but um, maybe... and they're usually they're pretty. Um, the times that it, they're usually big enough to, that you can know, you, you can maintain space. Yeah, but if you and get also... the timing right, you can do, do like a blood bubble. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, I've got friends that um that that's how they hang out because they they go and donate together. Now what a win win situation for Isn't everyone it? here. Yeah, free food, hanging out with your mates. Um, people get get blood. It's a bonus. Um, so, and also I've noticed that the, they must have, the blood donation centres must have some sort of relationship with the food people. So, because it's the same food wherever, it doesn't matter which blood donation place you go to. Ah. So you'll get like similar setup. It's like being in the in the lounge at the, um, at the airport, you know, mm-hmm. so, similar spread no matter where you are. Um, I and I, what's that? No, I just, if they're going to do food and it's coordinated, it'd be, I don't know, like black pudding, blood orange, like keep the theme. Oh, no. that's very clever. Oh, it's yeah. foul. <laughs> I think it'd be yeah. true. What, what kind of juice blood do you food. have? Blood orange juice. <laughs> yeah. Oh. That I'd have, I'd have the blood orange, but nothing else with blood. Um, so... And normally I like to go and I'll sit for a bit and have like um, maybe a party pie sausage roll or something. I'll sit there and get like a flavoured milk um, and have that. But then I like to take – I'll take something for the, the trip home. The road. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Because there's so much I can't decide what to have at the time. So I'll t- sneak a little, you know, a little packet of chips or something or a – they have um, fruit cake as well, maybe a bit oh, of that. I love fruit cake. Yeah. It's my secret shame that I could eat fruit cake all day long. That's don't, don't be shamed of that. That's great. Thank you. Thanks. Um Chris, Christmas is coming up, the cakes will be coming out right. soon. My time to be alive. <laughs> yeah. Um so but so yes the other day when I I you know, I sat down, I had my one sausage roll and I had my chalky milk and then um I sat there for a bit and then I thought, oh, I should, I should hit, you know, I'll get going, but I'm just going to go and um, stock up a little bit. Except I've made the mistake of not taking a bag or big pockets or anything. So you couldn't, I couldn't stock up too much. I just, you know, thought I'll just grab a couple of things. I went back over and I, as I was like taking a packet of chips, I noticed a sign that said, um, please, um, you're not allowed to take food out of the premises. Oh. So, yeah. We thank you for your understanding on this or something like that. <laughs> and I saw that. 
um, I saw that and was like, um, <laughs> I don't want to eat too much here. And I thought, I wonder if I can get away. So I took one thing and I sat back down and I think I ate like a biscuit or something. You sat back down in the waiting room after you'd done. Yeah, yeah, but this is in the this is in the food waiting zone. This is the yeah. after waiting zone. This is normal. You, you know, I just yeah. popped up, went to the. Oh, I might just oh have another drink. I'm still feeling faint. I'll sit down and have this. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of scoped out the situation, like had a look at the desk, and I went, oh, I wonder. If then there's no one at the front desk. I reckon I could. And I'm right near the front door. I have to walk around onto the, like, there was a, you know, a ramp going out the front door. Look, I just have to walk around and go down that ramp and I'm out. And I reckon I reckon I could make it with food in my hand. I'll just be casual about it. If I, you know, if I'm casual about it, then it won't be a problem. Oh, I reckon I can get away with it. And I reckon, if, you know, if they say, oh, excuse me, you know, they have to take food out and I can just go, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, and then I'll sit back down and, and accept it. Um, but I grabbed a couple of things. I had a fruit cake and oh, I had a, a Mentos. <laughs> and a, a Mentos for afterwards and a um, – a strawberry milk. Oh my god, that's <laughs> a nice picnic. Yeah, packet of chips. <laughs> oh my god, but just a little packet of chips. Oh, and a bit of cheese. Oh my god. <laughs> oh jeez, yes. I had all those things, and just kind of kept it casual. I just kept it casual in my hand, and then I got up. And Snow was at the the front at the nurse's desk. You, you had that all in your one good hand. Oh, no. I put in your arms. Yeah, like piled up, bad hand on. Just, you know, whatever, casual. And then I waited till the nurse was distracted oh by God. somebody else. It's like the yogi bear of blood. Yeah. And then I, <laughs> and I um, casually walked out <laughs> and, oh, and made it out. It was like, <laughs> she didn't stop me. Nobody stopped me. Got in my car with my little stash of. Yummy treats. In uh, I started driving home and I, I opened up like a packet of chips. And I had a couple of chips. Like I don't need any of this. Food. <laughs> oh, it's too much. I've had too much. That sausage roll. That one sausage roll was enough. Triple R. Paul Foote describes himself as one of the world's comedians who is not fans but connoisseurs who together comprise the guild of Paul Foote connoisseurs, invitees to which embark upon a life of secrecy and pleasure. This Sunday, his ma- his comedic majesty, Mr Paul Foote, is helming a live interactive show for audiences in Australia and New Zealand and ahead of the online event, the comedian joins us now. Paul Foote, welcome back to Triple R. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. Yes, and... <laughs> I'm pleased to be in vision as well with the new normal. <laughs> the new normal is that radio also has vision. Didn't used to, did it? Before, before the coronavirus, radio was just, you heard it. Now it's in vision and you see it. And when you do a podcast, podcasts used to be just sound. Now it's in vision. <laughs> and you do a, 
you do a podcast and people write to you and they say, oh, Paul Foot, could you join our podcast? And I say, all right, we'll do it on Zoom. And then they say, I say, I'm just in my pyjamas. This isn't going to like be, you're not going to use the visual. Oh, yes, we're using the visual. That's the, that's the new normal. <laughs> that is the new normal. We have found ourselves in. Where are you right now? And, and what's your 2020 been like? I am in my house and uh, my 2020 has been cancelled. Yes, my credit has been cancelled. Yes, that's right. Uh, Well, nearly or completely cancelled. Actually, I did do a show about one and a half weeks ago. I did a live show. It's the first live show I've done for six months. And there was real excitement because there was another live show which was going to happen only three weeks after that. But that has now been cancelled because there's new restrictions in place, meaning that's now cancelled because it was that you could have socially distant, but now you can only do it if you're socially very, very, very distant. <laughs> that's so right. Can I also ask about your um, – I just wanted to check in on your hairdresser, Penny. Is she still working? And Oh, yes, Penny, and uh, whose uh, pseudonym is sometimes Gianni. He cuts my hair, yes. And he comes from Italy to do it. This is the new normal. He now comes from Italy to cut my hair. It's the new normal. How have your careers been in the new normal? I suppose we're being in radio, you're all right. Well, we're from we're separate. Uh, we're all vastly far away. We used to be in the studio together. Now we're all working from home. Oh, home, yes. Yeah. That's the new normal, you know, we're <laughs> in different places normal. and, you know, we see each other on Skype. It's the new normal. We're fine. Yes, but I could see that. I could see from the looks on your faces, the smug expressions, which, of course, the viewers can see themselves. <laughs> it's the new normal that you are pleased that you have a, a career in radio with a safety <laughs> I used to laugh at people like you. I used to think radio people, radio people were, I always am very, I'm probably saying the wrong thing, but I've always been very suspicious of radio people, especially radio people who get up very early in the morning because I always think that it's like when you get show business people, show business people don't get up until well well after midday. But then you get radio presenters, they get up early. So they're kind of half in show business and a half not in show business. They are like a hybrid, a strange animal. They are peculiar people. I've always been suspicious of people who say they're in show business and yet they get up at 5am to do a radio programme. And I used to laugh at people like you and think to myself, I'm superior because they're not really in show business. But now I'm not in show business at all because my career has been cancelled. And now I'm grovelling. Uh, You know, I mean, I'm just pleased to be involved in something like uh, an enterprise, like the triple R thing, you know, the triple R, triple, how I would, you know, I used to laugh. I used to say triple R, triple J, triple M, triple P. It's all the same to me. Now I know all the differences. And I, um, I, well, I long, I long for the triple, for a call from a triple any trip. <laughs> even, even the other day, even the other day, I was I thought I'd need a new battery for my electric razor. And uh, I thought, oh no, it's a smaller one, it's a triple A. And a, a pang of excitement shot through me as I thought to myself, 
you know, that was the nearest I got to show business that day. It really was. Most of the time, I just wander around uh, in the house, uh, from the kitchen, into the dining room, into the bathroom sometimes. It's all an illusion. I look like I'm in a shirt. I am in a shirt, but from the waist down, I'm not even dressed, just in old pyjamas. I haven't even changed my clothing since March. What's the point? Because of the social distancing, no one is allowed within two metres, and I've got used to the stench. It doesn't matter anymore, does it? My career's been cancelled. I can stench and smell. I do do these Zoom shows, and when I do the Zoom shows, the smell is overwhelming. I have to like put uh, incense and stuff like that to get the smell away, but they can't tell. As far as they're concerned, I'm fresh as a daisy. In my lovely, fresh, white shirt with all my new ideas. But inside, I'm stinking and stenching and, and bitterly ruining the day. I turn down, uh, you know, interviews on Double N and P PRJ and Triple S and all those ones. Um, Oh, uh, they used to say, oh, it's a, a radio interview for you, Paul. It's a double R Community Radio Adelaide. I'm not interested, I'd say. Now I'm grovelling to them daily. I'm sending them emails almost daily and they're not replying. But I'm pleased that I've got triple R on my side. Yeah. Oh, Old friends, uh, uh, Geraldine Hickey, and yeah. Daniel Burton, <laughs> Sarah Smith. <laughs> people I can rely on. I know these people. They are my old friends. They, they are. Well, they're the only. You, your family now. You're the only people I've got. You're literally, this is this is more than just makes more than just an interview for me. This is some. Well, it's a social event. This is. This is everything I've dreamed of for six months. It's coming through. It's all happening for me. And even better, I don't have to get up early for it. This is late night my time. I don't even know. The old days when you was a get up at six in the morning for the interview, they're all over now. I just wander down in my jogging bottoms at the end of the evening, um, stink stenching with urine and do an interview to Triple R or Triple J, various ones like that, at this sort of hour of the night. This is my dream. Anyway, the question. I did want to ask about the show. So, what is it? Oh, the show. Yes, yes. Oh, well, it's um. It's a, it's a Zoom show. I do it to my people who like my comedy. Well, I presume they like it. I mean, unless they're buying tickets every month and they hate it, it would be a strange thing to do. And I do various things, a bit of stand-up and a bit of uh, question-and-answer session and also uh, my new and popular soap opera, The Donkeys, which is based on a family of firefighters, The Donkey Family. They're not donkeys, that's their surname. And it's all about their lives and loves and stuff. And uh, this particular episode is based in a crematorium where a fire has erupted. But it's a murder mystery because there's one body too many in the cremation oven. And I, in my role as Inspector Foot, uh, will solve the mystery. And also there are other roles in it which are taken by audience members uh, so it's um it's, it's a soap opera I and mean, it's the third episode now. 
or it's the third episode, and already we're seeing viewing numbers decline. <laughs> that, is, that is how quickly it, you know I've got into the into the soap opera. Already we're seeing people say, "Thanks, it's the third episode now." I'm joking, of course. People are they, well. The numbers are increasing. Well, I say increasing. It's statistically, they say stop. Top stop top statisticians. It's difficult to say that. <laughs> top statisticians have said it's too early to say whether numbers are declining or rising. They're saying it's. Uh, well, it's difficult to say. But it's, well, you, need, uh, you need a trend. Yeah, you need a trend. And I've said to them, I think I'm getting more people watching my Zoom shows, and more people who are interested to hear what's going on in the donkeys. <laughs> I, I'm getting a second wave. And they said, you're not that, you haven't even got a first wave. I said, I said, in terms of, like, I said, in terms of, like, Zoom soap operas, I don't know whether there are any other Zoom soap operas, but in terms of Zoom soap operas, mine is a pandemic. It's a, it's a huge success. And they said, well, we're not so sure about that. They said, we think a better analogy for your Zoom shows, and it's more like um, the career of... Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. It's kind of, they kind of thought, right, this is our big launch, but they've launched it at the wrong time. And then, just, and then no one's really heard from them for the last sort of nine months. They really thought this was the beginning of this new life, and it's, uh, it's not worked out so well. So I'm not sure. It's too early to say. But the point is, um, the statistics show that my show is either... Rising or declining at a quite alarming rate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you, you do UK, you do shows for UK audience and Australia. Does that mean the Australian show is going to be a very unshow busy time at your end? Oh, yes, it'll be 11 o'clock in the morning, my time. Uh, that is when I do the show. And uh, I do another one in the evening for the UK people at 8 p.m their time, and of course Australian viewers have a choice if they wish to tune in at around 5am if they would prefer that one. But yeah, well, we'll be up. prefer the one that is at 8pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. That is the show time when I do the show for Australia and New Zealand. We must remember they are one hour ahead, and we must also remember poor people of Perth, who of course are used to having to always... Uh, watch things at about 6pm local time. Oh, oh, couldn't we make it more like 8pm to suit Perth time? Uh, unfortunately not, because uh, Sydney have decided it's going to be 8pm. All right, we'll have it at 6. So they watch it at about 6pm. And I also have uh, interest from Nepal. Some people wrote to me from the top of Mount Everest and they said, look, we're, you know, we're, well, you know, we're in a terrible situation up here. But we'd like to watch one of your Zoom shows, and so they also tune in. So they will tune in about 6 p.m. that time, 5, 4 p.m. probably. <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, so, you know, and um, so the point is that I'm on a crest of a wave, uh, but I'm not sure whether it's a wave that's going to lift me up into huge show business heights with the Zoom show or whether it's a, a wave that's going to crush me. But the point is, 
that this interview that I'm doing now on Triple R, Triple, triple J, one of, the, one of those ones, well, I've actually forgotten which one it is, which is a huge, massive faux pas, almost guaranteeing I'll never be again in the future, which is a shame because they're both at the top of my hit list. Like, they are the ones that I've dreamed of doing. Anyway, they're both off now. But the point is, this interview, this interview um, will either be seen as... Uh, People will look back on this interview and say, Paul Foot did this interview before things got really big. <laughs> or okay, Paul Foot did this interview before no one had ever heard of him again. And uh, but people who did go on to bigger things, Geraldine Hickey and uh, Daniel Burt, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah Smith Live, Sarah Ann Smith Live, 84, they're the sort of people who went on. They're the people who went on to bigger things. And um, you know, so that, that's the situation I'm in. But I, I'm interested to know how you're feeling at this point in the interview. I mean, where, I mean, what are your thoughts about the interview? Were you expecting to be saying more? Um, were you expecting no. it to be that you would say more questions? Or are you pleased that I've basically done most of the speaking? Uh, what is your situation? Are you... Are you are you thinking you'd like to have me back, or are you thinking you'd like, like a quite a long time while you see the psychiatrist back, so you can sort of get over it? What is your thoughts? I've said it I've said a lot. It's over to you now, Daniel Burt, Geraldine Hickey, and Sarah Ann Smith, eighty-four, for your thoughts. The new normal is just very exciting. Okay, uh, and uh, so we've we've got to wrap the show. We've we've hit nine oh. a.m. Oh, was finishing you, at 9am? Sorry, Yeah. Oh, 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 well, if I'd known, I, would have, I wouldn't have said so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, in conclusion, we'll definitely have, have you back. It was yes. very oh, enjoyable. Thanks, Sheridan Hickey. Nice to see you again. Yes. Nice to see you, Daniel But Nice to see you, Sarah. And Smith, 84. Thank you very much, Paul Foote, whose live interactive Zoom show is this Sunday, 4th of October at 8 p.m. Melbourne time. You get tickets via paulfoot.tv. And we've been been chatting to the award-winning UK comedian. Paul, thank you very, very much. Uh, Thank you for having me on the show. I'll see you again on the Triple Award. (laughs) (laughs) Triple. Ah. This Saturday marks Love Your Bookshop Day, and ahead of celebrations around the country, we're joined by Lisa Lambert, co-owner and a manager of the Little Book Room in Carlton North. Lisa, welcome back to Breakfasters. Thank you for having me. It's exciting to talk to you guys. Yeah, it's always fun. Um, t- tell us about your life this year, uh, helming a bricks and mortar <laughs> bookshop. Well, it's been extraordinary. Um, uh, we have been home delivering book parcels for 197 days straight. But who's we counting? I thought this might be something that we do for a week or two weeks before we're shut down completely. Let's go, 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 go. And um, we've been go, 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 going ever since. We kind of put in Sundays as a day off so that we could um, recalibrate. But my dad, he just he just kept go, go, going. Um, in, in July, he started being referred to by kids around the, the inner north as Book Santa. I think there were a lot of <laughs> 
about Christmas in July and he's really, I think, taken taken that to heart and so he delivers books on Sundays even though there's no one no one's expectations. It's Wow. Who's the book Santa after all? Makes sense. Yeah, Ian aka Book Santa. <laughs> is is how does uh is he does he have all the equipment? Is there does he drop it off? Do they wave from the window? Is there a handover? Yeah. He's got he's got the beard, he's got the glasses, and he's got the chair, and he's got a van. Um, so he, like at the beginning, we did a little bit of biking around, but demand was just too huge. So we have a couple of people usually on the road each day, and they drop the parcels off on somebody's doorstop, do the old ding dong, step back to the footpath, and um, smile and wave. Oh. Do you think people are reading more in lockdown? Because it just is really. I think kids are, especially. I think adults are challenged by the attention span stuff, but kids are definitely reading voraciously. And one of the biggest challenges for for their grown ups is keeping up and trying to keep ahead of them. And that's where we step in with our recommendation quiz or put your kids on the phone to us. We'll we'll talk them through some recommendations. You talk to the kids over the phone. Oh, yeah. And we have been running amazing Zoom events. Kids are so across the tech. We had an event at the beginning of the school holidays. Um, Gavin Ong Tan zoomed in from um, Western Australia and ran a a cartooning workshop with us. We had 154 kids on Zoom. And you'd think that was like a recipe for disaster. No, it was super, super successful. Wow. I love that. But when you, when a kid ring is put on the phone to you, what kind of questions are they asking? Because I'm thinking about me as an adult who, you know, goes in and asks recommendations at a bookstore. What are the kids' most common questions when they're looking for a recommendation? Well, we try and really um, set them up with really clear questions. What have you read? What have you just finished? What are you in the mood for? Do you want fantasy? Do you want murder mystery? Do you want something that makes you feel sad or something that makes you feel happy? And then we give them three three ideas. So we try and really keep it focused. Focused <laughs> <in>. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we just spend a lot of time talking about pets and birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, is this service just for children, or is it available for adults as well? <laughs> we do have a grown-up bookshop called Neighbourhood Books over in Northcote, and um, you'd be very welcome, Geraldine, to give us a give us a buzz there and we can we can sort you so what uh, what sort of events do we have uh, occurring for love you bookshop day yeah well it's it, it's pretty weird to say don't visit us um so author and broadcaster extraordinaire adrian beck and um his good mate sally rippon who is australia's best selling um woman author um they came up with an idea to do a live version of the kid lit club on facebook and so we are going to zoom into bookshops all around australia so do a little bit of armchair traveling and authors will be hosting um our live crosses it's a little bit like the weather <laughs> um, so we'll be going to Townsville, to Tasmania, to WA, um, to to New South Wales and Sydney, and it's very exciting. 
that sounds uh, extraordinary. I mean, and how, who arranges all this? I mean, are you not only a bookseller, but some kind of tech wizard as well? Or <laughs> definitely, definitely not. <laughs> Adrian Beck, who is the the tech wizard, um, he hosts the Kidlet Club on Facebook. Uh, we've been doing a COVID season um, in lockdown too, and he is just a genius with this kind of stuff. Mm. Tim. I have no idea how it works. Yeah, good. Well, what about when all this is over? I mean, is should should we as citizens be worried about bookshops or has there been a renaissance or what do you anticipate will happen? I think during, especially during the first lockdown when, when people came to collect their books, they asked in a very kind of quiet, worried tone, how are you going? And we were able to say, look, we're, we're really busy. We're flat out. We're at capacity. We've had to put on extra people to help us. And the relief in their faces oh. was incredibly moving. Um, and to, for us as booksellers, and I'm sure this is an experience repeated a, across the country and internationally too, to feel that, to know that people care so much is um, really incredibly motivating. And through lockdown too, we've just been kind of putting that energy back into the engine and doing as much as we can to pay it back to the community. And um, as like, I guess we are on the front line too, so we feel like we're responsible for um, the incomes, I guess, of publishers, of um, authors and illustrators behind us, of of couriers, of everyone working in the big distribution sheds and the printers. And um, so we've, yeah, we've worked really hard and um, the whole industry is actually up almost 3% year to date on last wow. year. Okay. Wow. That's um, a nice story for 2020. <laughs> yeah. So every bookshop's experience has been different, but as an as a as a book industry, we've proven that we're very resilient. And on Tuesday we had the biggest day of new releases in 25 years. The most titles in 25 years released on the same day. Oh my God. So just it, like it's the very definition of an embarrassment of riches. What's what's that about? Was it a coincidence or is it a Christmas-related thing? Or October's always huge. That's our mega month. And throw in a few COVID-related delays and... Mm. Ah. Yeah, what, what about your actual store? I mean, it must be clean as all hell. And, and is everything alphabetized perfectly? Like what's... <laughs> Um, You're absolutely right. It smells like a hospital. Um, (laughs) But unfortunately, um, the alphabet has been interpreted pretty wildly. And, um, yes, it's a a bit of a shambles. So we'll have a lot of scurrying to do ahead of um, reopening to the public, which... You know, fingers crossed. Well, uh, if people want to get involved with uh, this event with uh, Sally Rippon and Adrian Beck and, of course, yourself and Josh Pike. Uh, <laughs> it's a superstar. Yeah. But, but tell us about Josh Pike's involvement. I don't know. Is he an author these days? Yeah, he's got two no kids' books. Um, and one of them is with Justine Clark. Um, oh. And it's a banana is a banana. I don't know why. That's what it's called. So he will be reading that with us on um, on Facebook at, 
at the Kid Lit Club. You can find it at Love Your Bookshop Day, that Facebook page. And we're really excited that he's kind of throwing his um, superstardom behind bookshops. We've run some epic events with Josh in the past, hundreds of people, and he's got this great big beaming smile. So I'm looking forward to catching up with him. Brilliant. Uh, as you say, Love Your Bookshop is on Facebook. Uh, there's also a website, loveyourbookshop.com.au. And uh, this all kicks off tomorrow at 11 a.m. But um, Very civilised, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, precisely. Um, Lisa, congratulations on everything and uh, good luck with tomorrow. Thank you so much, Daniel. Triple. Ah. A lot of people ask me, Geraldine, what's the, what's the secret to your happiness and um, the yeah. answer, yeah, every day, every day, every day, someone, you know, they might message me um, through our text line or um, by Twitter, yeah, by Twitter, Instagram. And so, Geraldine, what is what is the secret to happiness? And um, the answer is that it's it's all about expectations versus reality. You know, you. If you keep your um, expectations low, reality is like that. It'll match up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also sometimes um, it's also important that sometimes you do have a high expectation of things. And then and so just to learn with disappointment because that's important because uh, sometimes the reality is that, you know, it won't be what you thought it was. it would be. Like you might be baking a cake. And, you know, the cake will look a certain way. In Your your expectation is that it will come out looking the same as what it does in the cookbook, but the reality is that it will look like a sad mess yeah. that you will eat for two days. Is this going to be your wedding speech? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll make a note of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, I this week though, um, I like for outdoor activities and stuff. I like to have a high expectation of for like for example going snorkeling. My expectation is that I will see lots of wonderful, amazing fish and sea creatures, and it'll be like you know from the Little Mermaid, a whole new world. Um, and but there's a part of me that goes, chances are that you might just see lots of water and you won't see anything at all. But that's but still, I go, you know, if I go snorkeling and there's lots of fish, it's great. Um, uh, this week there is a bird hide in um, in Tura, which is you know about an hour's drive from from here. Um, and I've been there once before and we stumbled across it once when Kath and I were going for out for a drive and we we're like, oh, hang on a second, there's a bird hide here. And we went to this bird hide and it was amazing. But we saw like three birds, you know, so it was like it's not, you know, not that exciting. Um, but it was cool just to be, you know, out and about and stuff. And so this week I went, you know, because I'm in regional Victoria, I do have the option of travel with no restrictions. And when I don't have any friends to go and visit, because I can't go to Melbourne, um, then I go, well, maybe I'll go for a drive to that bird height because, you know, there's not a lot of for me, there's not a lot of options there's for entertainment and, you know, we're all in lockdown, who cares? So I went to this bird hide 
Um, so I was like, oh, this would be nice. It's a bit of a drive and, I, you know, chances are I probably won't see any birds, maybe one or two, probably not going at the right time of the day, but who knows, right? But then when I get there, oodles of birds, so many birds, birds and birds and birds, and it was just like this is this is what the expectation, this is what, like, the poster would be, like, oh, come to this bird hide, look at, like, all these different species of birds and stuff and look how many there are and what they're doing, and and I got it. I got the poster day at the bird hide. I'm so happy birds for you. There. What's that? Just so happy for you. It just rarely happens in life. Yeah, I know, right? And there, there was, like, um, you know, and I think bird watching is, you know, you kind of get excited when you see something that's not common, Um you know, and I there's so many times where I've seen a bird that I have never seen before, and I go, "Oh my goodness, what about this one?" Hey, and then I look it up, and it turns out it's one of the most common birds. It's in like the top ten common <laughs> birds of Australia. And I'm like, "Oh well, I'll take more notice next time." But in th- this time, there was like the the eastern curlew. There's lots of them there, and the eastern curlew um, is one. It's the largest migratory shorebird. Um, and it's listed as in, endangered for all all of Australia because it flies over from Siberia and, and southern China, um, which is cool within itself. Um, but it's endangered because it's you know it flies over to Australia and it like loves the wetlands. But it's it's we don't have as many wetlands as we used to have, so there's nowhere for it to land except for the Tura Bird Hide. That's the wetlands wow. there. Swings so, and roundabouts. Yeah, got to see them. Got a got a great photo. Are you someone who, and this is for you, Daniel, too, that when something doesn't meet your expectation, you fake it anyway? Because I tend to fake it for the people around me. And you know what I mean? Like if you go on a tour, say, so like when I was 18, I was in Mexico and went on this tour, a stalking tour in this tiny little town, and it was talked up a lot by the guy that ran the tour. I should have known that there was really only one man with a boat in the town and it probably wasn't going to be great. And when we got to the spot, not only was it dangerous, like I was terrified to get in the water and there were rocks and there were waves, but we, when we got in snorkeling, it was just grit, sand. Like there was nothing. Oh. It was not, I couldn't even, see, couldn't even see the ground. I was more just trying to not die. But every time I'd pop up, the guy that ran the tour would give me a thumbs up and go, all the fishes, all the fishes. And I'd go, yeah, and thumbs him up because I was so – I didn't want – it was like I knew the whole thing was a lie, but my expectations had been high and he was just kind of – he was kind of helping us on our way with the expectations. And I just pretended. Yeah, and I and I'd invested I, in it. I'd invested in the idea of there being fish yeah. and I just went, I'm just going to pretend there's fish. I'm just going to pretend that what you're doing when you give me a thumbs up is real and and I feel like that's what I do. I'm not – I just pretend. Yeah. Mm. So maybe for the comfort of everyone else. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, look, in kindergarten oh, – well, I, I, I don't want to say that story because it's, it's – I think you should because now I feel like a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, okay. Well, Jesse came back uh, – Jesse went to a wedding in the Hamptons, like oh, a wow. ridiculous wedding. And then – in the city. Yes, and then flew to Alice Springs for my sister's wedding and landed, you know, and then, you know, all of this excitement 
but I think the most exciting thing for her was seeing a camel on the bus to the wedding, like running alongside the bus. Oh, what? I mean, that is exciting. <laughs> yeah. If I saw a camel running beside my bus <laughs> anywhere in the world, I'd be excited by that. Yeah. But and you I don't... don't know how any wedding would ever reach the peaks of seeing a camel right, run beside a bus. <laughs> Well, I felt bad for the bride and groom. How can you live up to a a camel? Oh, I want that now. Yeah. Um, And also in terms of expectations, we're at the end of a pandemic. Well, not the end, uh, but, you know, case numbers are getting low. And she ordered these face masks months ago. Remember how I mentioned the ball gag mask? Oh, Oh, yes. Well, she she got one. Oh. She's given me a ball gag mask and it just arrived. Um, are you Where is wear it? it out? Bring it out for show and tell. Oh. oh. <laughs> oh I want, no one needs to see. Oh, my God. Okay. You've actually ruined my weekend. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Melbourne's own Triple R. You've been listening to a podcast, The Best Bits of the Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with Breakfasters via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or via the Triple R website.